Welcome back to the Power Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today I am really happy to be able to bring to you Meg Lemon, who is a paracyclist who competed at the Tokyo Games. That was her first Paralympic Games and she came back with a bronze medal in the women's C4 time trial. She is also a sports dietitian. So welcome to the podcast, Meg. Thank you, Liz, for having me on. Um, it feels an honour to be on here. I've been listening to a few of the other um, podcasts so far, and I feel, uh, yeah, pretty pretty honoured to be on amongst some pretty, um, I guess, famous people. Yeah. Well, everyone's got their stories, so I, I think it's important to hear as many stories as we can. Speaking of which, uh, can you give us a bit of an idea about yourself and your history and how you got into paracycling? Sure. So uh, I guess I I was a dietitian um, working up in Darwin. So I worked in a private hospital and then remote Indigenous communities. So I'd been up there for a, for a little while and used to commute on a bike. Unfortunately, one day I um, I didn't quite make it home and uh, I got hit by a car on on the way home um, from behind. I I luckily well thankfully I guess uh, for me um, don't remember the accident but um, had. 30 minutes loss of consciousness and six months amnesia. Mm-hmm. From there, I I was uh, returned back home. Um, my family were in Adelaide, so I came back here and um, probably was diagnosed a little bit late with a with a acquired brain injury, traumatic brain injury, and and I guess yeah, from there the rest seems history. Uh, it seems to have gone quite <laughs> fast, but um, I think at the time is a is a very long recovery and um, learning to do a lot of things again, learning to get back get back into I guess work life, everyday life, learn how to how to do just the the very simple activities in life again and, and started riding a bike or as a bit of rehab. Went out one day and hired one of those free city bikes you could you could hire and and was was forced to face the fear. Um got back on a bike and and from there um I guess yeah as I said the rest is history because for me, that gave me purpose again in life, and and I just forgot that I was different and that I couldn't do things anymore that I used to. That um, mm-hmm. I could ride a bike and I could be free, and and from there on on, um, I guess it seems to have gone upwards. Um, obviously, in everyone's <laughs> journey, it's not quite like that. There's been a lot of obstacles along the way, but I seem to, um, I guess, be very lucky to have a good support network and. And have found my niche, I guess, in cycling and found a second family and been now able to go away with the Australian cycling team to a, f- to a few events and, and just recently Tokyo. And I think now I realise what the Paralympics is and, and continue to be inspired <laughs> by so many, um, so many people that I guess overcome obstacles in life and, and are better off for it. And, and now I want to, I guess, share my message so that others can can hopefully learn and be inspired by it too. Cool. And so how did you actually transition from a city bike that you rented into a, a you know into paracycling itself? Yeah, I guess I made it sound kind of easy then. Um, so <laughs> I I I guess I I, I couldn't drive um, anywhere um, after my accident for for about a year and to get to appointments which was the main thing I had in my day for a good year, I used to have to walk or catch public transport and probably unlike some of the states 
around Australia or, or other countries, Adelaide's public system wasn't the best back then. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> there were a lot of times I got a little bit sick of transport when it didn't turn up or walking everywhere, especially during mm. winter. So I decided maybe I should purchase my own bike. So I had a tiny bit of savings left over and, and spent it all on a bike. And that was probably a very good price for a bike at the time um, compared to what they are now. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I spent my money there and I actually, I asked the guy that sold it to me, um, his name is Noel and he was just a local bike shop guy and he said, oh, I do have these people going out, you know, tomorrow you could meet up with them because I actually didn't really know how to ride a bike. I had to relearn how to do that and, and I think he got the sense that there may have been something a little bit wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I guess not wrong in a bad way, just different. <laughs> and uh, he actually set me up with um, with someone who who was a former paracyclist himself, and he's also um, what we have as a state, so the the sassy here, the sis-sass paracyclist coach. And and I went out with him, and he had a tandem. He had someone with cerebral palsy, someone else who was missing a limb, and 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 so forth. And we went out and rode. I'm unsure how much writing was done and how much laughing was done. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of adventures along the way, but I I came back from that ride and I just, I, th- I guess it was just like a, a spark had, had gone off in my head and I realised there was another way and there was, uh, I guess I was in quite a dark place at that time and I woke up, I came back from that ride and realised that that it doesn't matter if there is something a little bit different with you or you don't feel like you can do something like you used to. There were these people that had these impairments or something something wrong with them in some way and, and they didn't let that get them down. They didn't let that stop them from riding a bike. And and mm-hmm. for me that just that was just everything and um I realised that I'd found something in cycling and what they had found in cycling I could also find and and I guess from there, I went to my first nationals, got classified, and then ended up doing okay on the track and, and going to my first Worlds. Um, and that was a track mm-hmm. Worlds just after Rio. And I actually um, was up against Sean Morelli, who you know very well. Um, mm-hmm. And <laughs> I got thrashed, <laughs> completely <laughs> blown out. And, and from there on, she set the target of what I needed to chase. Mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah, I guess I feel like that distance has been coming down a little bit, but then she seems to get better <laughs> as I get better. So, so her and a few uh, other yes, people. But she, she's at the back end of her career, whereas you're at the front end. So well, I'm get hoping there. so. <laughs> I'm hoping. I'm hoping I've got another ten years to get a little bit, you know, closer to where she is. Mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah, people like her have inspired me to keep getting better and, and challenging myself. Um, and I guess, you know, I'm sure we do that, the same thing for her. So I yep. guess from, yep. from there, the rest is just history. <laughs> mm, how lucky were you to be introduced to that pretty much as soon as you bought your first bike? <laughs> yeah, I guess, um, I was very lucky to, to have that. And I guess if I hadn't been exposed to that, who knows whether I would have got into cycling as much as I did or, you know, for me, I, I think I was at a pretty low point and, and I might might not be here today. I think my parents have, mm. have said that as much as it scares them every time I get on a bike and it scared them so much me getting back on a bike, they realised that it brought the blue back into my eyes. So, um, 
yeah. for, for that I'm, I'm very lucky. And, yeah. yeah, I think there's a few people uh, in the world that make, make that important for people that have been through an accident or have some sort of impairment mm. or in para, para sports. And, and it's such a big thing and, and we need to get that message across to more people. Awesome. And so, Meg, how does the impairment itself affect you on the bike and, and in everyday life? Yeah, so I guess it's something that has taken me a long time to learn about. I guess with a brain injury, it's a little bit different to a, to a missing limb or a broken leg. It's not something that will just take six weeks to repair. And it's, mm-hmm. it's very individual to the person and it's very individual to the way it affects that person. So for me, I'm probably still learning about it a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think I'm a lot more confident now in, in what I know about it and how it affects me. So, so for me, um, the brain in particular on the bike, um, it affects the way, uh, my whole body works, but particularly my right side and, and mm-hmm. I have a lot of, I have muscle ataxia or I guess the way my, my body responds is, is through rigidity. So my muscles yep. just can't relax very well. So, so when I'm riding, I do look like I'm probably going to, the handlebars are going to fall off. Basically, I'm holding them that tight. Um, and obviously, yeah, that, that does affect a power output point of view. Um, it does affect, I guess, a pushing through pain. And I have a lot of issues trying to push through through pain um, and my brain telling me to stop. Sometimes when I'm on the track and especially during an IP um, or a time trial on the road, I do want to just pull to the side and have a little nap sometimes. Um, <laughs> that would be nice. Um, so, so having that ability to override that is quite hard. It affects the way I turn a corner. So vestibular system, so I'll sit on my brainstem. So turning a corner, especially at speed and riding on the track at speed is really hard for me to do and overcome and I get dizzy very quickly. I'm quite affected mm-hmm. by noise and light. So, um, for example, sometimes I might be riding and even, you know, down a hill or if there's sun and dark shadows or or if there's lights in front of me um, or other people, it's a little bit like someone's throwing juggling balls in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's a little bit distracting and, and that's also the way that, um, my brain processes information, so I, so I'm quite delayed in that, and I get overwhelmed very quickly. So, um, mm-hmm. or overstimulated, and so it's almost like you can give me more than one thing, and I won't take any of those things on board. Or if you have more than one element, if there's more than one people around me, um, or if I'm trying to ride my bike in a bunch, it's too much yep. for me to process. <laughs> And yep. keep pedaling. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Whoa. So, yeah, it doesn't help if you stop pedaling in the middle of that. <laughs> no, no. And, um, and as we said before, we we're just having a discussion about eating and drinking, um, on the bike. And as much as I'm very aware that it's important, it doesn't mean that I have the ability to do it whilst riding a bike at mm. the same time. So, so having mm. to be able to drink, especially with other people around me or, and or to continue pedaling whilst drinking or eating is a big issue. <laughs> so um, yep. it's it's not necessarily that I physically might not be able to do it. It's that ability to do it whilst doing something else or whilst under doing pressure. something else. Yep. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. that's just a few wow. examples. 
Mm-hmm. I'm sure I've got plenty more. And if you spoke to my coach, I'm sure he would have a long list. <laughs> but that's, that's probably <laughs> a, enough for now. Um, yeah. And yep. I guess if you think about the track, that's a very stimulating environment for me. So yeah. as soon as there's light and there's always light and there's a TV and then there's noise, so any crowd, anyone warming up, a tyre goes off, uh, anything mm. like that, um, if there's another coach or an athlete on the track, um, and they're moving or a photographer, yep. I'll be automatically put off. And I also yep. have um, issues with balance. So I'll come in and out of the bars a lot and have mm-hmm. quite a lot of trouble getting in an aero position. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the more aero I get, the dizzier I get um, and the more mm-hmm. unbalanced I feel. So I guess there's a bit of a disadvantage there. But I work mm-hmm. with what I can. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We, we all have I mean, something. <laughs> Yeah, you, everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses and I guess that's why the the time trial is probably the event that is most suited to you currently in terms of the let, you're not in a pack and you may pass someone in front of you but you're generally not affected by other things around you as much as you are on the track or in a road race. Yeah, definitely. So I guess time trial is preferential at this point in time with where I'm at and still mm-hmm. adapting to things. Although I guess with the recent time trial, I did get a bit caught up by people in front of me and passing me and cars. And so I I Mm. don't know what to do in that situation. Or coming into the tunnel, I see someone else there, so I'll back off. Or I saw, yeah, something like that. Um, But there Mm. is a lot more room to move in the time trial and on the road. Um, And and that just makes it a little bit easier. It's like I can breathe almost um, and I can Mm -hmm. taste things a little bit better that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it 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 is interesting. You've put you've hit yeah, the nail there. <laughs> yeah, but it's still early day. Still early days in terms of your your cycling career and 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 even in terms of your injury. Because when when was your injury? Yeah, so um, I guess it was about six years ago now. So it has been hmm. a a relatively long time in terms of that. But compared to probably a lot of people in the sport um, and some that I race against. It is relatively new still. Yeah, yep. so I guess I've still got a bit of time to, to learn strategies to not necessarily overcome those obstacles but find different ways of doing things. Yep, yep, working out what works best. Yeah. So can you tell us what a typical training week looks like for you at the moment and also yep. how that might change from between the track and the road? For sure. So I guess um, at the moment we've probably got a little bit more of a focus on on doing a bit of base come, you know, post-Tokyo um, and more a bit of a focus on road. We do have road nationals coming up and and hopefully um, maybe doing a bit of a some local racing and a tour down under for me. So mm-hmm. um, probably not doing any track at the moment, but um, it does look a little bit different when there is track or track and road at the same time. So, so probably looking at a few base rides. So, you know, uh, two to three times a week, a, a couple of longer rides with potentially some efforts or just looking at trying to be on the pedals, um, for a fair bit of, of those, of those rides. And I do love the hills. So I always try to convince my coach to let me go on the hill. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, plenty of, plenty of them around Adelaide. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, it's probably a very good place for me to live. So. I guess at the moment, um, I do love climbing hills. I don't like descending, but I'm, I'm using it as a good skills focus as well. So some days mm-hmm. instead of a ride, I might have a skills ride 
or I might go out with my coach or some people, um, some friends and, and do more of a skills focus. Um, I usually do gym I'm at the moment about three times a week. For mm-hmm. me, strength is really important to maintain and, and keep on top of. So um, that's a, a big priority for me. And that does also help with, I guess, some of initially that helped a lot with my symptoms and, and, and allowing me to manage manage everyday tasks and a bit of pain a little bit better as well. Mm-hmm. Then then I might have maybe an ergo once a week and then I might have two or three um, easier days a week. So that's probably kind of what it looks like at the moment depending on, on what I have during the week, other commitments like work or presentations or, or so forth. Mm. Yeah, and of course you're, you're juggling this with your job as a, as a sports dietitian. Yes, yes. So at the moment I guess I, I I pulled back a bit coming into Tokyo, but as soon as I got back from Tokyo, I seem to have just taken on a lot at once, and um, which is really good. But um, yeah, just juggling getting back into clinic. I've got a couple of clinics at the moment, and and it's been quite busy. So I've I've been really enjoying that, but it is a lot for me to manage, especially mm-hmm. especially with my injury. I do get fatigued quite easily, and and overstimulated so I have to mm-hmm. manage my workload quite well and and not have too many back-to-back clients it also takes me a long time to do things that that may have taken me an hour before may take me five to ten hours to do so um, mm-hmm. I just need to just factor that in yep. and then I, I do a little bit of cycling cycling coaching as well um, which is a nice alternative so yeah <laughs> just fitting fitting all of that in sometimes can be a bit much they're always seems to be something else and there's been a few presentations which is which has been really lovely since we got back but just um mm-hmm. trying to yeah trying to work out when the best time is around training and and work yeah. and not put too much on my schedule mm. yeah no time for track though at the moment <laughs> uh, oh well I'm sure there'll be time when it when it needs to be so what would a typical day's food intake look like for you yeah, so I guess um, a typical intake um, depends on kind of what training I have for that day or that week. So I usually look at what are the key training sessions for for that week. Is this a is this a hit session? Is this a uh, a ride just with base or recovery, or is it more of a ride with efforts? And um, that'll kind of dictate my pre fueling and maybe the night before as well. So. I like to go into my key sessions or well, most of my rides in general with with good fuel in me because um yeah I do I do run out pretty quickly and mm-hmm. and I do want to make the most of those sessions so I I usually prioritize carbs around them and depending on how much time I have to digest which some mornings might not be very much um <laughs> I do like to sleep in um, yep. make the most of that um so sometimes I might be looking at more of those higher GI, lower lower fibre choices before some of those rides um, or sessions to make sure that I'm getting that energy when I need it and that I'm not yep. getting a bit of, you know, too much bloating or gut distress because the blood's going to, I guess, my working muscles, not my gut. Mm-hmm. So, so if I have a bit more time, I do love the old porridge or wheat bix, but some mornings it might be even rice bubbles or um, a bit of a processed cereal where it's a bit lower fibre maybe some milk or and then maybe rice cakes and honey or, or banana or so, something like that. Um, I do find those my go-to kind of something like that. Um, crumpets even. Mm-hmm. I do love the old crumpets. Yep. Um, 
And then, yeah, as soon as I've finished a ride or, or gym, usually having um, some whey protein and a bit of a carb snack to, to make the most of that recovery. And that's really essential mm-hmm. when I do have another session the next day or that day just to to start that refueling process quite quickly. Also just keeping as much muscle on as I can. So so I do um, make sure I'm pretty diligent with that and I like to mm-hmm. practice what I preach. <laughs> Good. And then from there, it might be, um, depending on the time of day, it'll usually be lunch pretty quickly where I can. And, and that changes every day. But if I need to recover quite well, it will be a, a considerable amount of carbs, could be um, sandwich wrap, could be rice, pasta, um, or a bit of a combination of everything. And then, yeah, I, I do go for the, the plate method sometimes with, with a quarter of a, a plate of protein and then... Um, if there's enough room, some veg and salad, depending on, on what's coming up the next, the next, well, that mm-hmm. afternoon. Yep. And then at night, probably something similar and, and the carb amount there will probably depend on if it's a recovery day the next day or a big day or sometimes mm-hmm. what's in the house. <laughs> if I have the energy yep. to cook. <laughs> yep. Usually easy options are good um, by the end of the day for me. Yeah, yeah, because you're probably pretty fatigued at that point in time. Yes, definitely. Um, I try to always have good intentions, but by the end of the day, um, yeah, not not a lot goes to plan. So I, I try to to keep it pretty easy, and sometimes make that lunch meal a bit bit more decent, and and make sure I've got you know even even a frozen meal or something that I've I've cooked a bit of a bigger batch for, or or some easy options like tuna or eggs at night. Sometimes just get me through mm-hmm. cool yeah and so you kind of mentioned that you the gym had been really important for you um especially kind of building into the the training that you've been doing what are some of the changes you've had to make physically in order to improve your cycling performance yeah so I guess for me I had to get a lot stronger and put on a fair bit of muscle so I I probably initially after my accident I lost a lot of muscle and strength and I reckon I might have put on maybe five to ten kilos of muscle you know a bit of fat Mm. with that as well but um yeah it's taken a long time initially I had a a good amount and then um the more I try now because I'm no longer a newbie um it takes (laughs) a lot more um yeah so I guess with that it's I was doing gym four times a week um, at one point. That was last year, which was quite quite hard, but I did like it and I had to pull back my riding a fair bit. And with mm-hmm. that, it was it was trying to find that balance of being in an energy surplus. So in the end, we had to, to pull back some of the training so that I wasn't, um, I guess, yeah, making that gym go too much to waste and, and being in a deficit there. It was also about improving my probably my portion or distribution of protein. So mm-hmm. I don't really love meat. I don't like the taste of it. So I'm good with protein, but I, I, I probably just need to be more on top of it. And so mm-hmm. for me, sometimes it's having those easy options, including that protein powder available and, and making sure at night when I'm tired, I do have those options because that's when it usually can be a bit harder. And before yeah. I go to bed, I always have, have an extra hit of protein. Um, I do like that they've they've brought in those recommendations. It's 
And so that would be something like some, some yogurt, maybe a little bit of cereal or fruit, um, or it could be, you know, a bit of a smoothie or a, a milk and hot chocolate and something like that where I'm trying to get that extra hit at night. So they were probably um, the the main points there and I'm actually going to start on some creatine again. I do like to do most things through food, but obviously creatine is one of those supplements that is probably the most evidence-based and least harmful in some ways and, and being a female, mm-hmm. um, mainly vegetarian, uh, it could help a little bit with recovery and yep. And potentially with that that brain function um, and concentration, but I guess that's still emerging. But it's worth a try, I guess. Well, especially if you if it's not going to do you any harm, and and you feel like you're getting the benefits out of it from a physical perspective. So, yeah, I I, I think you know you you're putting everything else in that you can. So if there's one extra little component that can add value to what you're already doing then it's worth trying isn't it yeah yeah so that's it I always like to make sure that you've got most of the fundamentals put in place and you're doing them all right so uh, a bit like the icing on the cake get the the base of the cake right before you put the icing on yeah yeah, I haven't really used it I used it once before and um yeah I went just back to normal and now I think it's a good time to try so um we'll we'll see what we can do there (laughs) Mm. Not forgetting about the cool. other things, though. No, no, it doesn't replace it, does it? No. So as a sports dietitian, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges for yourself, either you know, training at home or even when you're travelling to compete? What do, you, what do you think some of the biggest challenges you face are? Uh, for, for me personally, or do you think um, for, for what I see as a sports dietitian with teams? Um, yeah, both. <laughs> Let's try you first and then <laughs> what you see as challenges for, for teams. Um, I guess something that I probably personally have experienced and probably see a bit, I guess, in clinic now or with some of my teammates or people that I know through cycling is probably we know what the healthy food guide recommendations are and sometimes it's about context. So what you mm-hmm. learn... And what you know is good for you and what we probably encourage a lot of people are not doing enough of is eating, you know, enough colour or their their vegetables and and fruit and, um, you know, I guess less processed foods. However, Mm -hmm. when you're training sometimes as much as as athletes like me or or a lot of people that are on your podcast are, sometimes it's it's not feasible to do that and you're not going to get enough energy and definitely not enough carbs in without having some sort of implications like a gut distress or yeah maybe like deficient in iron or or something like that so um I think sometimes you need to throw what you know a little bit out the door and forget about that and think about the context and if if you want your performance to be optimal um, you need to fuel appropriately and not think about, oh, but have I not had enough, you know, vegetables today or is is this going to, you know, be detrimental down the track to, to my long-term health or to my body composition or so forth? It's finding that balance. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think that's something. I think something else is it, as much as you know, it is good to have someone outside helping you. So 
for me, I do have a sports dietitian that helps me, who's really mm-hmm. helpful, and hopefully I can get on this podcast. <laughs> but I think, I guess in sports nutrition, you're always learning, and there's always new information, and so you always should be learning and wanting to learn more. And mm-hmm. and I think having someone help you to learn that and learn what works for you is helpful, and you shouldn't have to do it all yourself, even if you are you know, a bit of an expert in that field. Mm-hmm. And I think, I guess another thing which probably transfers to a lot of people, it's really individual. So what works for mm-hmm. me doesn't necessarily work for some of my teammates. And especially yes. in para sport, there are a lot of individual requirements and then there's, you know, some sort of impairment or disability that's going to have some sort of an impact on either someone's individual requirements or their ability to cook or eat um, and and in particular, their ability to eat, for example, on the bike yep. is a big thing or, you know, in other sports. So I think that's something that working, uh, sorry, traveling with a team and being amongst a team has really allowed me to learn more of and to have hands, hands-on experience with. And it also mm-hmm. has helped me to trial and error a lot of things myself. And, and I think that allows me to relate to other people. Yeah myself as a clinician yeah you know you said that you you have trouble eating and drinking and still cycling at the same time and and yet you're talking about possibly doing the tour tour down under so (laughs) is that we should have kept that low (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's still a maybe not a certain maybe maybe by by putting it out there publicly you 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 may actually then commit to it (laughs) um so so how do you use your sports dietitian that you you have as a you know the person that you talk to do you utilize their their help with trying to problem solve that or do you tend to use more of your fellow athletes who have been down that track before to find out what sort of solutions they use or is it yeah, a that's bit of an both? interesting one I, I think it's a bit of both so for example obviously yeah my dietitian has identified it as a an issue and what can we do about it but I think it's probably not being in that situation itself it has helped me to go out and ask others that actually mm-hmm. have been in that situation themselves or for me not quite understanding why I can't do it. Like I know it's important, but it doesn't mean I can Mm -hmm. do it. And so I think for me um, it's probably been like, so So one of those, one of my coaches that got me into cycling that I was talking about, he he can't really drink whilst riding or eat. So Mm -hmm. we've together problem solved some things and and then I trial a few things. Um, Then also probably looking at other athletes when we go away racing and what they do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just, um, I think just talking to more and more people. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be one person. I think the more people you talk to, the, the, the more you, you come up with ideas, um, or you find different ways of doing things. Even this morning, I was talking to a couple of clients of mine that, are, that, um, participate in Iron, um, Iron Man or Iron Women, they are. And we mm-hmm. were just talking, talk, discussing just a couple of ideas, cause, um, uh, they were like, oh, well, you know, you need to eat and drink. And I was like, yeah, I do, but it doesn't mean I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think it's, it's interesting. And we were just together thinking of some ideas ourselves. Uh-huh. And at one point I have, um, 
so one of my physios taped um used like medical tape and we put it um on my top tube and we put cliff blocks on top <laughs> um so, one so block that was at a time we've come up yeah yeah I think I I ended up I think maybe having one and three fell off but it was something um <laughs> and it, yeah another thing we did was uh every time if there was a lap in a road race every time I went past her she'd remind me to drink so that's another mm-hmm. thing um I guess as much as I know it's important when I'm in a race situation, I can't think to do that. And I also yeah. can't process doing that whilst also riding a bike. I'll have to stop pedaling. And then usually mm. if I do that, an attack goes. <laughs> um, yeah. Or if I'm in a bunch or something, it's it's too much for me or my muscles and hands are pretty fixated to the bike by then. So there's not mm. a lot of movement happening. Mm. So, yeah, so I think it's, it's interesting, but each time you learn something different, um, I guess it's like road racing. You're always learning new things. And when, mm. I'm, when it's unfamiliar to me, I can't work out what to do in that situation. But the more and more I practice, the more ideas I can come up with. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm sure you'll come up with some solutions. Um, so what so what recommendations do you have for for practitioners like coaches and sports scientists and other dietitians who are working with para athletes Uh, that's a that's a tricky question um I guess be open to new ideas and don't ever think that someone can't do something or why not ask why they can't do it well why they are not doing it the way you would think that is traditionally normal Mm -hmm. I think it's really about asking questions and and as you said before, problem solving is a big thing and just looking mm-hmm. at different ways of doing things. One of my coaches once said, there's there's no such thing as can't. You always mm. can. It's just what what's a way that we can we can work a way around this or another way of doing it. And even if you don't yep. have the answer right now or for me, if I can't do something straight away and I'm frustrated, I take a breather. I walk away and I come back. Um, <laughs> yep. I think also um, something that I've actually recently learned is to be curious, not judgmental. And I think mm. that's really allowed me to be better as a practitioner and also a teammate and hopefully, yep. you know, a, a friend and, and family member maybe. And and for me that's, that's quite hard because when I'm really tired, sometimes I react, but it's then taking a step back and, why did that person think that way? Why did they act in that way? And and getting to the answers and, and maybe it's not that they don't know. Um, yep. It's that they don't know how to do it or they're not confident in doing it. Uh, so I guess maybe, yeah, that, that's maybe one thing. And, and I think another thing is, is experience. Just get out there and, and if you can go on a team with someone and especially working with, with any para para-athletes in particular, I think you'll be blown away with, I guess, just not necessarily inspired by them, but just the way that they get on with things mm. and that um, how they overcome challenges and uh, probably how strong and resilient they are. And mm. and I think that you'll find that that gives you a little bit of confidence to, to get on, I guess, with anything in life or any little obstacle that you overcome. Mm, well said. Yeah, I, I tend not to like the, Maybe. the term inspired. I, I yeah. feel like it's more that it. I feel grounded in terms of that 
there's not as you say there's nothing in life that you can't find a way around or find a way of dealing you know working with and or, or managing is just it's an opportunity to explore a creative solution definitely um i like that um and i think i think something else is don't dismiss the idea of if you are a practitioner of working in parasport because i think you'll find the team that you're in is pretty amazing and that lots of people have been through different things in life and their stories are pretty amazing to hear and when you do work on a team in in a para sport you you do more than just your job you're mm-hmm. not just a dietitian you're not just a physio you're lots of things and and for that you can i guess those experiences will will take you a long way in life and especially um as a practitioner working in sport mm, too true what about recommendations for fellow athletes or upcoming athletes? Accept the challenge. Don't hmm. don't think that that's going to be too hard or you're scared to do it because I think there's been so many times where I've been scared to do something or try something different and afterwards I think I'm so glad I did that or you know that really builds your confidence up and and you can learn so much from it. So I, I think that's probably a big, big thing. Also, don't think you can't do things like we were talking about before. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> and and probably the last one would be, um, so for me, I feel like because I haven't, you know, succeeded, won a world championship or, or won a gold medal at the Olympics, sometimes that can be defeating um, when you do train really hard. But you can mm-hmm. you can only put your best in, and in and intent is everything. So sometimes you have to reach for the moon, I guess. And if mm-hmm. if you fall and don't quite reach there, you're still amongst the stars. So I think yeah, no matter what you do, even if you don't get to that top level, think of the other reasons you're in that sport and what you can get from it, and keep trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Fantastic. Well, Meg, what's your favourite food? I think I'm going to go with what you've told me in the past, which is chocolate and berries, so (laughs) chocolate-coated berries. Um, There we go. I've come to like that one. (laughs) Yeah. Fabulous. What about you? Has anyone asked you? No, no one's asked me. Oh, although I, I did get asked once, was a team building exercise actually for US paracycling, ironically. And they were going around the room and everyone was saying what their favourite food was. And I, I, w- I ended up being the boring dietitian, didn't I? It's muesli, <laughs> especially oh. with yogurt. If I go a day without muesli, then it's a very disappointing day. So. <laughs> It may sound very boring and very dietitian-like, but no, it is. At least, at least you didn't say broccoli or like you know um, ah. Brussels sprouts. That would have been worse. Oh, can't stand Brussels sprouts. Oh, they're definitely oh, they, not they, my favourite food. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not yeah. the typical dietitian. Then. Awesome. Yeah. No, no, I'm definitely got got some. Some likes and some definite dislikes, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good, good. 
Well, Meg, it's been an absolute delight having you uh, on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's a double day of training and that's a, a, a very tiring day for you. So I'm going to let you get going and, and have a bit of a break and get some food into you. But it's been wonderful having you and I hope we might get to talk to you again sometime down the track. Thank you very much for having me. And yeah, that would be a pleasure. I might have to interview you next time. <laughs> Maybe. Very <true>. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks, Eve. I really love how, even though she has really good knowledge in nutrition herself, that she's open to other people's advice, including learning from her fellow athletes to try and overcome some of the problems that she faces and um, create a better solution for herself and build flexibility in that approach. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying them. As usual, please leave a message if you'd like to give us some feedback or have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about. Please join us next time as we talk to Sally Bowman, who's the sports dietitian with US Paralympics.